Hello and welcome to Why It Matters. This is a podcast for leaders who know that relevance is a moving target. I'm Michael Goff and I'm the Strategy Director at Spark Studio. This is a collection of interviews with leaders who are passionate about something that is being overlooked. Sometimes that will be a brand, a product or a service, but it can also be an idea, something that has lost its value for many. And to re-express relevance, you need someone with vision. If we can encourage people, I think, to become fluent in the language of photography, learn different ways of seeing and understand how others read the photographs that we create, then that will be one giant leap forward for photography. And I've absolute confidence that the Royal Photographic Society will play an important role in facilitating that evolution. Photography is everywhere, and most of us engage with hundreds, if not thousands, of images every day. It's so prevalent that we perhaps take its usefulness for granted. The Royal Photographic Society has been championing the value of photography for over 120 years. Last year it published a new five-year strategy and I was delighted that its president, Simon Hill, was willing to come and discuss why photography matters. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Simon, you're the president of the Royal Photographic Society, which we'll get into a bit of detail, but perhaps you could just start by telling us what's your current location? Where are you based at the moment? Uh, current location, I'm sitting at my desk in front of my Mac talking to you. Uh, my desk's in uh, my office, which is an annex to my house, and I live in Nidderdale, uh, which is an area of outstanding natural beauty on the edge of the Yorkshire Dales National Park. My studio is uh, just a few metres from the house, and somewhere around me is uh, my border terrier called Oscar, named after Oscar Barnack, the inventor of the Leica camera. Fantastic. And I imagine it's particularly a beautiful uh, location at the moment with the kind of wintry frost that kind of seems to have descended on the UK. Is that, would that be fair? Well, this is the Yorkshire Dales. It's always beautiful, <laughs> even on a foggy day <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> Our topic today is why photography matters. Uh, it's great to get your uh, input on this, but I'm interested it's a bit of background, really. How did you first get into photography? What was your fascination in it? Uh, my fascination was my dad's camera. My father introduced me to photography around the time of my third birthday. I kept pestering him to let me use his treasured Voigtlander camera. Um, both my parents are keen photographers, so there was never any shortage of encouragement or advice as I took my first tentative steps on my photographic journey. I, I suppose the journey really started uh, on that third birthday. My parents bought me uh, my own camera. It was a very simple point-and-shoot Kodak Instamatic 25 uh, that I still have, although it's no longer a camera I regularly use. Sadly, two weeks ago, my father died. But before he died, he gave me his Voigtlander camera. Uh, So this and my Instamatic now sit side-by-side on a shelf in my bookcase behind me, uh, surrounded by hundreds of books on photography. Wonderful, wonderful. And you've been working commercially in photography since how long? Commercially? Well, I did my first paid-for photographic job when I was 13 years old, uh, (laughs) photographing old-age pensioners in the village I lived in uh, for their bus buses. So I was shooting the old people of uh, the village I lived in, photographically, of course. (laughs) And you're you're also currently the president of the Royal Photographic Society. I wondered, could you give us a little bit of background to the history of the, the society and its purpose? Yeah, goodness, we've, we've got quite a long history. The, the origin of the Royal Photographic Society can be traced back to the summer of 1851 when the Great Exhibition was held in London under the presidency of um, His Royal Highness Prince Albert. 
inspired by this sort of celebration of art and science in the winter of that year a group of men uh, who described themselves as gentlemen photographers formed a committee to establish a society devoted to promoting the art and science of photography uh, the following year 1852 um, this group of men this group of gentlemen photographers presented an exhibition of their photographs that enjoyed such enormous success that on the 20th of january 1853 they founded the photographic society of london with Sir Charles Eastlake as its first president, and with the royal patronage of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. In 1874, the Photographic Society of London became the Photographic Society of Great Britain, and in 1894, it became the Royal Photographic Society of Great Britain, which is what we're called today. With its long and distinguished history, the society is one of the oldest and one of the most respected photographic societies in the world, and it continues to enjoy royal patronage. Today, um, Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Cambridge um, is our patron, and it's great to have her as our patron because she's such an enthusiastic and accomplished photographer. Although started by a group of gentlemen photographers, the society very quickly began to reflect the diversity of photography, with lady and gentleman photographers joining its membership. And that diversity of photography is, is something that we very much uh, encourage today. And your involvement? When did you get involved with the with the society? Wow, uh, must be uh, forty years ago. Uh, wow. My involvement, involvement started forty years ago. I was a sixth former uh, at school in Derbyshire, and I was very keen. I'm a photographer. I think I'd progressed beyond the Instamatic Twenty Five that, that I'd been bought for my third birthday. I think it was on an Olympus OM10 or something uh, by that point. But anyway, I, jo I joined a local camera club. And the members encouraged me to join the Royal Photographic Society. And this proved to be very good advice, as working towards the society's distinctions provided a direction for my own photographic journey. As a, as a young member of the Royal Photographic Society, I spent two years studying for a diploma in photography at Blackpool College, and then two further years gaining a master's degree from St. Martin's School of Art in London. And at the same time, I worked towards gaining the distinctions of the Royal Photographic Society, and they've punctuated my journey, really. Again, my licentiateship of the society while at school, my associateship while at art college, and my fellowship in 1991, very soon after starting in professional practice. Uh, my pe fellowship portfolio included work that I published for National Geographic magazine, some that had been commissioned by the Ordnance Survey and by the British Museum, but the majority of the photographs were taken very much closer to home for the York Archaeological Trust, and they mm. were published by the Council for British Archaeology. So to bring the story right up to date, uh, my involvement with the Royal Photographic Society, in September of 2019, I, I was elected a trustee of the society. And in January 21, uh, 2021, exactly 30 years after gaining my fellowship, I was confirmed as the 72nd president and an honorary fellow of the society. Oh, amazing. Well, it's, it's a tremendous honour, really, to serve as president of a society that has been such an important part of my photographic journey. In some small way, I hope that I can pay back an enormous personal debt to the society and with my colleagues on the board of trustees and on the staff team to help the society to develop and deliver a strategy that will enable it to become a society that promotes photography for everyone. Wonderful. And so the heart of this topic, uh, Simon, is about why photography matters. So for you, why does photography matter? 
2021 was an extremely important year for the society because we we did publish uh, a new five-year plan that, that we call Photography for Everyone. We call it a five-year strategy, but in reality, Photography for Everyone is a strategy for the long-term future of the society, not just for the next five years. And in delivering the strategy, we're committing the society to bringing photography and photographic practice to the most diverse and inclusive audience in the society's almost 170-year history. Uh, Any suggestion today that the society is only for the lady and gentleman photographers of the 1850s is gone forever. Uh, The society in this 21st century is truly for everyone, uh, wherever they are in the world, whatever their age, whatever their gender or sexual orientation, whatever the extent of their physical ability or mental health, whatever their background or personal circumstance. Certainly under my presidency, and I hope under those of my successors, the Royal Photographic Society will exist to encourage and promote photography for everyone. Fantastic. And is the particular kind of focus within the five years, is there an emphasis there on, on particular activity that you're looking to, to get up and running within that schedule? Uh, I think really we want what we want to do through the strategy is show why photography matters. And when the Board of Trustees published its strategy in 2021, It was one of my first duties as president to write the introduction to the strategy uh, that we'd spent almost a year developing. And for that introduction, I I wanted to write about the importance of photography, why photography matters. Photography is important to everyone in our local and global communities. We live in a diverse and multicultural society. The ease and immediacy of photography offers unlimited potential for creativity and for personal expression. Uh, photographs, I suppose, and the complex language of photography empowers each of us to share our ideas and beliefs, to inform and alert, to influence emotions, to help fashion public opinion. Photography and the imaging science that underpins the medium can advance our social, cultural and economic well-being and our health. As photographers, we're creating a, a legacy of our environment, of our politics, arts and science, all aspects of our society. We're preserving our public and private presence through the photographs that we create of ourselves, of the people around us, um, and of our ever-changing world. The immediacy and apparent truth of the photographic image can be easily misused or misinterpreted. So we must become fluent in the language of photography. We must learn different ways of seeing, and we must understand how others will read the photographs that we create. So if the ambitions of the strategy needed to be identified in a simple form, it would simply be to say that we want people to become fluent in the language of photography. And how do we do that? How do we get better at learning the language of photography? Well, as human beings, we're social animals. We cannot live in isolation from other people, whether we share the same societal and cultural beliefs or whether we hold beliefs that are polar opposite to those of other groups. We need to communicate with each other. Spoken and written language can often be a barrier to effective communication. Sometimes we speak a different language or we write in a different style that might be incomprehensible or intimidating. But photography has no such inherent barriers. Uh, Yes, a photograph's worth a thousand words, but more importantly, it's worth a thousand words in every language on the planet simultaneously. If we're unable to communicate verbally with other people, perhaps because we're prevented from doing so by the state, we only have to look at the provisions of the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill that the Guardian's Joshua Clements says is not about law and order, but is about state control and criminalising the right to protest. Or perhaps because we suffer from some form of social anxiety that makes it difficult for us to be in the company of other people. 
Photography can become our voice, our, our language, rather than being imprisoned in solitary confinement from society. Photography can open up channels of communication and allow us to participate, albeit in a visual way, in essential interaction with others in our local and global human communities. For example, consider a simple portrait photograph. Each portrait opens up a three-way dialogue. It's a dialogue between the sitter, as visual metaphors reveal their past experiences and perhaps their hopes for the future, uh, the photographer, how they've applied the portrait aesthetic to presenting in a single image an often complex human story, and yourself as the viewer, looking at the portraits through our own 21st century eyes. Now, photography has never been more popular and never more widely practiced than it is today. Almost everyone who owns a smartphone is a prolific photographer, perhaps often and somewhat unwittingly a prolific portrait photographer, whether they're a creator of self-portraits, selfies, or a creator of portraits of their friends and family, when they post these portraits on Facebook or on Instagram, they're inviting the viewer to enter into a dialogue. Now, of course, this raises other issues too, about the rules and ethics of that dialogue, mm, yeah. about the perceived authority that is intrinsic to those published photographs, and about how photographs and posts can be manipulated to provide false information, false news. These are hugely important issues that we, or others who are far more qualified than me, could perhaps explore in future podcasts. And the kind of ubiquity of photography now that we're all carrying smartphones and, you know, there's, we all hold a certain amount of uh, incredible technology these days in, in, in minute form. What is it doing to photography generally? What, what's the impact and the consequence of that ubiquity? Well, I hope what I've suggested so far in this uh, podcast is that photography is an incredibly powerful channel of communication perhaps even the most powerful form of communication that we have. George Herbert, the Welsh-born English poet, uh, now he lived from 1593 to 1633, I think, long before the dawn of photography anyway. Now he said the eyes have one language everywhere, and that's so very, very true. But as with, with any form of communication, photography is a language of its own, albeit a visual language. This is a language that can be taught and it can be learned. To become better photographers, better communicators using photography, We've, we have to learn that language. How will photographs be read and interpreted by the viewers or the consumers of photography? How can we use metaphor within our photographs to reduce the noise and, and make our message clearer? Of course, the counter consideration is how do we as consumers of photography recognize propaganda and misinformation in a photograph? Yeah. We only need to look at the work of Heinrich Hoffmann, who in 1921 became the official photographer to Adolf Hitler and reputedly took over two million photographs of Hitler, eventually becoming his confidant and one of his most trusted propagandists. Simon, it would be good to hear a bit more about the, the five-year plan, uh, the strategy of uh, the Royal Photography Society. Uh, and I understand that the society intends to appoint a photography laureate, which sounds very exciting. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Uh, yeah, the photographer laureate is probably one of the most exciting programmes within the new strategy. I mean, from the advent of photography until sometime around the mid 20th century. Uh, stills photography was the prevalent medium for documenting world events. Perhaps the best example of this is the work of the photographers who were the core of the Farm Securities Administration uh, historical unit during the Great Depression. Uh, these included Walker Evans and Dorothea Lang. 
1936, Dorothea Lang took a series of photographs of a woman called Florence Owens Thompson with her two children. The photograph became known as Migrant Mother, and it's perhaps the most memorable and well-known image from the FSA. Now, the historical unit was tasked with recording and publicizing the American government's farm programs, but the lasting impact of its body of work, which included Lang's Migrant Mother, defined a vital social history role for documentary photography. And closer to home, we'll need to look at the archive of Picture Post magazine, published between 1938 and 1957. Under the editorship of its co-founder, Stefan Laurent, and then his successor, Tom Hopkinson, uh, the magazine sort of steadfastly defended editorial independence, uh, gave page priority to photographs, used photographs as picture stories, using impactful page layouts, but perhaps most importantly, they sourced a, a new breed of photographer uh, that included Bert Hardy and Grace Robertson. And this set the direction of British documentary photography and photojournalism. Now, with the rise of television from the mid-20th century to today's sort of digital mass technology, which I'm sure we'll talk about, there's a less demand perhaps for published photography. And it could be argued that published documentary photography is in decline. And this is a great shame. And it would ultimately be such a great loss to the social record of human life. While documentary photographies found a new audience in art galleries and small-scale art house publications, we need to reinvigorate the, the genre of, of mass communication documentary photography. So I think the time's right to invigorate the genre documentary photography and with the support of our patron, the Duchess of Cambridge, the Royal Photographic Society wants to appoint biennially uh, a national photographer laureate to act as an ambassador for photography, mm. uh, to record important national events and to engage in educational activities across all age groups. And most importantly, the publicity programme surrounding the Photographer Laureate initiative will, we hope, encourage more photographers to explore the language and craft of social documentary photography and to turn their cameras to the social life and structures of today, creating, if you like, a, a lasting photographic record that builds on the reputation established by the FSA and Picture Post. Fantastic. And, and, and talking there about the kind of language and craft of art, clearly the advance of technology has led to a kind of proliferation of, uh, of opportunity to get involved with creativity. In my own sector, obviously, the arrival of laptops and, and, and personal computers has empowered so many people to think that they can design their own brand. And many do get by with uh, their their brand, their DIY approach to brands. But given given the kind of proliferation of smartphones, is there a risk that that ubiquity devalues the craft that stands behind good photography? Uh, I really don't think that smartphones have or should change the way we think about photography and image making. They are, after all, just another form of camera. Smartphones are more portable than a conventional camera, and so many more people own a smartphone than own a conventional camera but they're just another camera. Um, that's all they are. Yes, this means that more photographs are being taken than, than ever before, but that doesn't mean the principles of photography and what constitutes good photography has to change. Uh, learning to see as a photographer and learning how others read our photographs is so important, irrespective of the camera we own, whether it's a smartphone that we carry in our back pocket or whether it's a high-end professional camera with interchangeable lenses, incredibly fast autofocus and the ability to take photographs in almost every lighting situation and every environmental condition that we may ever encounter. Whether we call ourselves a photographer or whether we're using the camera gadget on our smartphone, we should learn how to see as a photographer and we should learn how other people read or interpret the photographs that we take. And this, perhaps more than anything else, describes my ambition for the Royal Photographic Society under my presidency. 
and for its new direction under our long-term strategy, Photography for Everyone. And given that focus on learning how to see and how to read imagery, what's your take with the rise of interest in photography and it becoming kind of almost second nature with the, with the access to, to these new cameras through smartphones? What's your take on the proposed cuts to the arts education that were announced last year? Well, any reduction in the funding of arts education or of arts promotion is a big mistake. Um, society and industry needs people who can think and work creatively. That's how we make progress as a society, as a nation. Humans, we're a creative animal. We need art. We need creativity for our mental and physical health and well-being. The arts is not just something that's desirable. It's an essential ingredient of, of society. And at the Royal Photographic Society, we can do our bit to help encourage young people to experience and enjoy what is probably one of the most accessible art forms, photography. And, you know, our new strategic plan seeks to achieve this. And in my world, the world of branding, many brands have come to rely on photography to convey kind of particular business characteristics. You know, you, we're probably very used to financial advisors typically using nautical imagery as a metaphor for navigating the, the kind of complexity of, of financial planning. And, you know, companies running service offices often rely on skyscraper fields, cityscapes or collaborative huddles of smiling and suited, happy professionals working and pointing at laptops. And we're all used to the kind of the, the way charities use photography to convey the desperation of their causes. Is there a place for more distinctive authenticity in the photography that organisations choose to represent themselves with? And how can that be achieved? I think there'll always be ways in which we can improve the authenticity of an individual photograph and of bodies of photography through which organisations choose to represent themselves. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that photography can be used to create an impression of authenticity where none exists. I suppose this ultimately comes around to defining what is or is not authentic, um, or whether a photographer or creative agency or any organisation seeks to present a certain authenticity or to create or present some artificial or, or false narrative. Uh, that's why it's important that consumers of photography must learn how to read a mm. photograph and consider the context in which that photograph is presented. This should really be the subject perhaps of a more robust investigation, perhaps more than we can explore on a, on a short podcast, but it's vitally important. And what's the best way you know, for someone involved in brand, head of brand or, or marketing to, to brief a photographer when, they, when they're looking for imagery, a sincerity to their imagery in their, in their photography? Right. Goodness, that's a difficult question. Uh, I think it's probably impossible to answer that. Uh, how to brief a photographer? Well, so much depends on what you're expecting your photographer to achieve. You'd brief an advertising photographer very differently from how you'd brief a commercial photographer. You'd brief a social documentary photographer very differently from how you'd brief a news photographer. And so many people think that just buying, well, perhaps buying the most expensive camera and lenses and a copy of Photoshop will instantly make them a great photographer, just like buying an expensive computer with graphics and desktop publishing software might instantly make them a great designer or publisher. It's just not going to mm. happen. So how to brief a photographer? Well, it really does depend, I think, on what message or narrative you want to communicate. My advice would be to commission a photographer who's professionally qualified, has lots of varied experience, but perhaps most importantly, whose work you like or admire. Photographers, or rather good photographers, they're not just technicians, they're creative professionals. Use a photographer you can talk to, professional to professional, and work with them to develop your concept and the brief. Mm. Don't just tell them what you think you want, 
but work with them to create your ambitions, take your ambitions to the next level. And I guess, you know, key to all of that is being really clear about what it is you're looking to convey and the the associations you're looking to to establish with the business and, and the imagery that it uses in order to create that sincerity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we fall foul of, of stock photography over bespoke imagery. When is it appropriate for a brand to use generic stock photography over bespoke images? One way of questioning it is to turn the question around and perhaps explain when it's better to commission a photographer to use bespoke imagery. I think you should use commissioned photography if if you want to achieve one or more of perhaps five things. Firstly, uh, if you want to include in the photograph a prop or location that's important or unique to your brand, then you can only achieve that through through commissioning your own photography. And you can enter that photograph into competition or industry awards to bring greater brand exposure. You, you can't do that with a stock photograph. Secondly, you want to ensure a creative consistency to the photographs that represent your brand and develop a unique style or personality in the photography that you use for your brand with a sort of cast iron guarantee that no competitive brand is going to be able to use the same or a similar image. You don't get that guarantee with stock photography. Thirdly, you want absolute control over model and property release issues. Um, Get that wrong can be incredibly expensive. And also have the right to use the photographs anywhere, anytime, and in any medium. You know, you've got that with your own photographs. You haven't got that with stock photography. Fourth, if you want to create several similar images at the same time, uh, of the same set or the same location, then you can do that. You can use these images in different applications or in different formats. Or you might want to produce moving image at the same time as you're doing the stills or animated imagery. Uh, You've got complete control over that. Um, you just use a stock photograph, you, you just get the stock photograph. You don't get any moving image associated with it. And finally, you might want to save money. Shooting original photography can be cheaper than using lots of stock mm. imagery. And remember that, that working with an experienced and skillful photographer, a professional photographer, can help you de- develop your imagery and get more out of your shoot. You can't work with a stock photographer. You either use the image that's available from the stock library or you keep looking for another image. So if, if one of our listeners wanted to explore how to take better photographs, where should they look, Simon? Well, if my own experience is anything to go by, I'd uh, urge anyone who wants to explore photography to join the Royal Photographic Society. There's <laughs> a blatant advert, <laughs> but uh, but it's true. That's where I think they'd be the best directed. Uh, whether they're a consumer of photography, a researcher, or a critic of photography, or of course a creator of photography, a photographer, um, the society has regional hubs uh, in the UK and Ireland. And it has international chapters around the world, uh, each with a full programme of events and opportunities for photographers of all abilities. We have special interest groups that cover specific genres of photography. And the Society publishes a superb bi-monthly journal that is posted free to all members. The RPS Journal is one of the oldest continuously published photographic publications in the world, yet it's at the very forefront of the celebration of contemporary photography. So if an aspiring or even an accomplished photographer wanted to subscribe to a single publication that that covered almost every aspect of photography, then the award-winning RPS journal would be the one I'd recommend. And uh, it's free to all members. So best thing is join the RPS. Fantastic. And finally, we have a a little section of the podcast that we call Worth a Look. I believe that the RPS has a new exhibition coming up in Bristol. Could you tell us about this? Yeah, sure, we we do. It's called Generations, Portraits of Holocaust Survivors, and it's probably the most important exhibition the Royal Photographic Society has ever staged. 
It runs uh, at RPS Gallery at RPS House in Bristol from the 27th of January to the 27th of March. It's a new exhibition uh, that brings together over 50 contemporary portraits of Holocaust survivors and their families, and it shines a light on the full lives these survivors have lived and our collective responsibility to cherish their stories. In partnership with the Imperial War Museum, Jewish News and the Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, uh, Generations showcases new works from 13 contemporary photographers, all members and fellows of the Royal Photographic Society, alongside photography by our patron, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, who also photographed some of the survivors. Now, many of the photographs um, were captured in the spring of 2021, uh, and it presents a brand new body of work from contemporary photographers. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, go go and take a look if you're near Bristol. It sounds an amazing exhibition. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for being on Why It Matters. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and particularly to get your insights on photography. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters has been put together by Spark Studio, the brand and design agency based in London. To find out more about us, visit our website at sparks-studio.com. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at hashtag whyitmatterspod or get in touch with me at whyitmatters at sparks-studio.com. Thanks for listening.